Welcome to episode 74 of the Triage Method podcast. This week we have another guest episode. So we're here with Mr. Lyndon Purcell all the way. From, is, it, is it Purcell or Purcell? Yeah, probably the second one, Purcell. But there's even Purcell. debate within our family, so you can, <laughs> you can go with ever. Yeah, I think the Irish pronunciation would probably be Purcell. Yeah, Lyndon well, Purcell. <laughs> Purcell. The, the heritage is Irish. so Really? I promise. Yes, it is. Ah, it's but definitely I personal. I can't say so. anything more than that. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, anyway. You're, yeah, you're the man in the know. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Lyndon is our guest for this week. I'll uh, be looking forward to having him on the podcast for a while because I think he has a lot of, a lot of value to offer. Um, he's been on a few podcasts before, but you know, some of you may not have come across his work. So hopefully you're going to find that you know, there's some valuable insights um, within this conversation. I think there'll be a lot of things that come up where that like they're really things that we talk about quite a lot at triage. So, so that was one of the things that kind of drew me to, to some of Lyndon's work. So hopefully it'll be a good conversation, but yeah, Lyndon, I'll give you the opportunity to introduce yourself, your background. Oh yeah. You're also in Australia. I never mentioned that. Um, but yeah, introduce yourself as, as you wish. Yeah, so I yeah, I'm located in Melbourne, Australia. I work for a company called JPS Health and Fitness. We are doing our best to, as our hashtag is, raise the standard of the uh, the fitness industry. Um, my role or my background, I guess I, you know, got into lifting weights at sort of sixteen. Got very interested in it. Uh, you know, went and studied exercise and sports science through uni, and I was initially looking to go into strength and conditioning uh, because I was really drawn to the more scientific method of doing things. But now I my yeah, my real passion is general population. Um, I think it's very cool to take what we know about, you know, human metabolism, sports, nutrition, sports science, all that extremely high value information that is accessible by athletes and coaches and, and people in that realm and really start getting it out there to the, to the general public. So that's, I guess, one part of my role is just uh, coaching and helping spread good practices and then helping to spread good information also through the more educational component of my work. Um, yeah, I'm, that's me basically. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, I think I think you guys like are doing doing a great job. Like that, I like the hashtag as well. Like raise the standard. Like that's essentially probably one of our main goals at Triage as well. So it's nice to have like a lot of different people working towards that goal because you know I always say that personal trainers are probably like a, a forgotten but key part of the puzzle in this kind of the problems that we have in modern healthcare. You know, like like chronic lifestyle, primarily related diseases, and, and I think having a stronger front line is a like a really good goal to have. So, so yeah, it's, it's great to see many people working towards that now. So as you've, as you've mentioned, you know, you're interested in science, you know, you have some background in, you know, like formal education in the science or sciences. And from what I gather, you're quite interested in, you know, the actual kind of philosophy of science and, and thinking and logic and reasoning, etc. as well. And one of the things that we actually spoke about with our last guest as well, and that has, you know, really proliferated within the industry in the last probably five to 10 years is the idea of, you know, being 
evidence-based. And my observation on that kind of being evidence-based and, you know, that kind of hashtag team science, as you said in one of your articles, um, my observation on that often is that we almost end up just building a camp mentality that is no different to any other camp mentality, as in we shouldn't necessarily think that we're better than the, you know, the low-carb crowd or the keto crowd if our reasoning is on the same level as theirs in that we just trust a handful of gurus. So what is your perspective on, you know, being evidence or science-based in terms of, like, do you, do you feel there's, there's a cult there? Do you feel that people have the reasoning abilities that they should to, to really consider themselves science-based? And, and yeah, just, just give me your thoughts. What do you think? Yeah, I, I do completely agree or whether you actually made an argument there rather than just a question. I, I do believe there is a very large camp mentality in the evidence-based community. Uh, we, we prize the product of our beliefs rather than the process of how we acquire them. Um, yeah, more so like that we value uh, knowing that it's a calorie deficit that causes fat loss or it's volume between 10 and 20 sets. And, you know, I listen to Mike Isratel and Eric Helms and therefore I'm evidence-based. Like, I think this is a very, uh, there's obviously trade-offs to everything. So while it probably is still net positive overall, that people are identifying as evidence-based, that they're listening to these people, there does just need to be the people that are, you know, listening for the canary in the coal mine, so to speak. And then just being like, look, like this is great, but let's not take it too far. Let's, let's remember why these people that we listen to are revered, not just make them become the authority because then, you know, then they become the Charles Poliquin of 2019 and then shit hits the fan. <laughs> um, I, I am unfortunately, not unfortunately, I am, uh, I think, continually confronting evidence that this is a problem when we will hold workshops and things like that and I might present a case during, like I might do a lecture on hypertrophy nutrition, muscle growth nutrition, and I'll make a strong case for like 15 minutes why micronutrients are actually important and people go, people who are already listening to JPS and listening to people that I would think these should be educated people. I go, wow, I just thought it was protein and calories. I was like, it's not though. Like those are just a higher level thing. And understanding that something has a larger influence than something else doesn't mean that something else isn't important. And the, one of the major issues that I find with this is, you tend to get people who dismiss things as unimportant simply because they don't understand them. And while I shouldn't be presumptuous on my behalf, maybe they do understand them. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it is very common to see people hide behind just these, these platitudes, these very off the cuff, easy to dismiss things with sayings like it's just, it's just calories in calories out. It's just progression over time you know, take care of this and that'll take care of that. And it's like, well, we are the most complex biological system on the face of the earth. Like 
we have a rudimentary understanding of the human body, let alone the human brain. Yet you get these people that just sort of think they can summarize yeah, health, muscle growth, training, progression, behavior in two sentences because that's what their guru said. And that's kind of the, I guess, the demands of the context as well in that if you are, if you are forced within a, a social media world to have to summarize your thoughts in a couple of sentences or an infographic, then they are necessarily going to become sound bites, you know, because you're not forced to elaborate. There's no platform on which you have to elaborate. And one of the, the, the things that might come up is like, oh, you know, I've seen so many like really intelligent, like, like people that you, that will be respectable, put out things just about how our oh, food quality just doesn't matter. And it's like, like, that's like, that's okay. If you really elaborate and make sure that your listener understands, you know, food quality probably doesn't matter for changes on the scale within the context of a protein and calorie and exercise control diet, which doesn't happen in the real world. You know, it's like, it's yeah. like you can't separate the upstream and downstream factors or any secondary factors from any intervention because we're left solely with those sound bites. And again, it kind of factors in then to the, the cult mentality. And like you, I've seen, I've seen that happen where someone will put up a very considerate post about, you know, like they might put up a recipe or something and they'd be like, this meal is great because you know, it's got a decent amount of fiber and you're getting, you know, decent amount of micronutrition and stuff like that. And then someone will come into the comments and they'd be like, bro, this is so stupid. You know, it's, it's, it's just macros. It's like, well, you're like, you're not necessarily wrong, but you're not, you're not really thinking things through. And, and that's the depth that's often, that's often lost, I think. And, and what, what leaves maybe people like yourself and others not, not with tens or hundreds of thousands of followers because you don't have those, those quick sound bites of information to deliver. So it's a challenging problem, but at the same time, I kind of understand why it exists, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I completely, again, agree. And I, I fear that we're going to run into a lot of agreement throughout this conversation. So <laughs> we'll have to just have to just bring up something that we totally disagree on. <laughs> uh, yes. Again, like if we're going to put ourselves in the camp of nuanced thinkers, like, uh, we came to this point in time by the process of evolution. And it does appear, I guess, depending on who you read, evolution doesn't necessarily favor organisms that seek the ultimate truth. Like there are just, obviously we have cognitive biases and heuristics and things like that, that our mind if we're going to take an extremely rationalistic approach to thinking, we go, Oh, these are, these are errors in thinking, but an error in thinking has evolved for a particular reason because, and that's, that's why heuristics evolve because it's like they make, they allow us to make based on quite limited evidence. So we obviously can't sit here and be like, Oh, these people are idiots because they're not thinking about, you know, the nuanced details. I just think it's important. We all understand our place in the industry and I have absolutely, I'd like to think absolutely. I've certainly reached self enlightenment or anything like that, but I've come to terms with if this is how I'm going to convey information and it's going to be 
long form, nuanced. I can be a slow talker because I'm trying to think while I talk. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get the views, the followers, the likes that others are going to get. But that's, yeah, that is okay with me. Um, and if I wish to acquire more popularity, then I have a job ahead of me explaining why my take on things is better than the alternative. And I, I like that challenge. Like, I guess that's why I guess I'd probably like to be thought of as just more of like a science advocate than just even someone in the fitness industry, like and someone behind the scenes in the fitness industry. Like I, yeah, I guess that that's something I've been thinking about lately. Yeah. And I think, I think another thing is that like you, you often have to think of it as a trainer of like, like what's, what's your actual goal with science? Because sometimes I think it's almost just trying to fit into the current, you know, fitness culture as in, I have to, I have to put out the, the hashtag team science or science based perspective if I want to be like part of the club and if I want clients to think that I'm relevant, it's all mm-hmm. because that's, that's what generates that sort of traction online. A lot of the time, you know, if you can be, especially if you can be controversial or you can be a myth buster, but we're kind of at that mm-hmm. point now, I think where like the myth busting is almost boring. You know, it's kind of at the point where like, you know, everyone's sick of, of hearing like, it's just a, it's just a calorie deficit, bro. And, and all, and all those simple things. Anytime anyone makes a point, like I get that impression anyway from people. Um, you know, a lot of the conversations in our Facebook group would be about those kind of more nuanced points that people bring up. And they'll be like, look, I know people always say this, but what about this? And then if you didn't actually have your, if you weren't actually thinking, you'd be like, oh, actually no one talks about that. And that's a relevant question to a lot of mm-hmm. clients. And I see that all the time in, with, with our clients as well, where a lot of the questions that they ask on an, on an individual level are just not covered in the, in the online fitness you know conversation so I guess my question then would be you know to be a good to be a good trainer do you really need to engross yourself or not necessarily engross yourself but do you even need to identify as being this evidence or science-based person and focus solely on learning all those doctrines or are there a lot of other soft skills that are potentially just not celebrated as a result communication you know respecting the individual considering their context etc because I think those things are important. Yeah, I, again, I completely agree. Those things are without a doubt important for the predominant amount of personal training clients. Mm-hmm. What most personal trainers fail to understand is that people are coming to them to feel better. Now you can achieve that via stress reduction, helping them feel more in control of their diet, helping them look better. But fundamentally you have some kind of problem to solve and once you do that they'll feel better and they'll be thankful for that how much science and reading pubmed actually helps with that i would say falls in probably the minuscule amounts it just unless it is part of your marketing strategy to be up to date with the latest science then i really don't think it's going to help you as a personal trainer Uh, to any large extent. And again, people need to be, I guess, wary of my background when I say that. I'm not just dismissing science. Like I am pro-science more than anything. Uh, I shouldn't say that. Um, I am pro the process of science more than anything, probably than the product. 
it's not the PubMed studies. It's not, and I even hate how PubMed has now become the meme. Like, like you could meme, ask, yeah. yeah, like you could ask multiple evidence-based coaches, what's another, you know, research engine to find yeah. studies on? They could probably give you PubMed and that's it. It's, they've, yeah. Anyway, before I get too far off topic, you need to be able to, if you're going to be a personal trainer, you need to be able to solve the problems that people are going to come to a personal trainer with and look what they want. What do they want? If they want more muscle growth, do you have a method of helping someone achieve more muscle growth? That doesn't mean you need to be, have read the latest Brad Schoenfeld paper. If you have some kind of system for achieving that, you're pretty much golden. If you want to improve that method, sure, some science might help. But you certainly don't need to read science and be up to date if that's even possible to be a good coach or trainer. Yeah, and, and I think this is a good conversation to have because like it's you and I who are people who are very much interested in reading the science, in trying to stay on the edge as much as possible are essentially filtering down their message and saying, you actually don't need to be this person that's constantly on the edge. Because generally, that sort of like scholarly dialogue that's in the all the 2019 papers, for example, you know, there was a cross, there was a crosstalk series of papers recently about, you know, is it purely exercise intensity or exercise volume that leads to mitochondrial adaptations for endurance? There was a really interesting series there. But is that really relevant to the personal trainer? Like, Mm, sort of not really you know like very very rarely it's probably not important at all like that person that personal trainer would be far better off going back to a basic like physiology 101 textbook and learning the basics of how the cardiovascular system works you know how, how we're actually producing energy and exercise and and trying to mm. at least develop some reasoning as to why you're making your nutrition or your training recommendations and like i don't want to repeat everything that we talked about with our last guest because a lot of these topics actually came up but um but yeah, I just think it's um, it's it's hard because it's a long-term process to develop that foundation of knowledge where you know you've learned your basic muscle physiology, you've learned your basic cardiovascular physiology. That sort of quote-unquote basic stuff, like mm. it takes a long time to learn that. And in the interim, you're not going to be you know on the edge reading the as you said like the latest Brad Schoenfeld paper or, or anything like that. Even though like if you are on the edge, read those papers, like do it. But they're very rarely changing the day-to-day recommendations that I make to my clients anyway. Um, so yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that in terms of like developing that foundation? Do you feel from your experience educating trainers that that foundation of understanding that you probably got through, through your exercise science studies, do you feel that's a, a hole sometimes or, or what do you think? Yeah, I, I do think that is a major limitation. Um, and it is just, it is the somewhat dysfunctional incentive structures that the industry has at the moment. It's just like, oh, the goal is to get to studies. So I just need to find what I type in in my search bar to pull up PubMed. Then I can become one of those trainers. It's like, to say I learned, uh, I definitely learned some of that foundational stuff through my undergraduate but for the most part, it was just my desire to learn. Yeah. Like, but an undergrad is beneficial because you're paying for it. You, um, you know, you have deadlines. So it's like, I have had to spend months 
cramming it's like if you can cram across months like i mean collective all of them added together months um you know cramming reading textbooks on khan academy things like this like you know if you haven't if you're trying to to find the latest paper to be one of those you know up-to-date coaches but you haven't actually gone through like khan academy or um what's the what's the other one on youtube it just it's eluding me um uh, i'll come back to it i'll remember it at some stage um they do fantastic yeah just like series on biology anatomy and physiology chemistry that kind of stuff like i would be going to that probably first before anything then try your luck at a textbook then potentially try try a paper um that foundational stuff is key because another like one of the interesting things about knowledge is uh, or any, yeah, any unit of knowledge is that it can almost mean the opposite or not just have an inefficient effect. If uh, you don't place in the correct context, it has the opposing effect. So an example that jumps to mind is, you've got to spend money to make money. And people are like, oh yeah, like they'll, they'll okay behavior of like spending, you know, spending money within a business because that's how you make money. It's like, well, no, it's, it's all in the context of spending some money now can help generate a larger total in you know, net income in the future. Like it's an investment, those kind of things. But like taking that statement as it is, you've got to spend money to make money you've also got to spend money to run your business at a loss. Like, and this is the, I guess the dichotomous nature of knowledge to a degree. If I haven't completely lost you on that tangent. Um, do you understand what I mean? Like without these foundational understanding of things, you can find some isolated piece of information and knowledge and completely misapply it. Yes. That's, that's a risk when you're, what you work with is human beings. Yeah. And, and you, you do this is probably going to segue into our next topic in general, but like a, a good example of, of where this becomes relevant is discussions around, for example, mechanical tension. You know, if you were to go back to say like Schoenfeld's series of papers, but mainly like the 2010 paper, probably initially for like proposing the mechanisms of hypertrophy. And you see that, Oh, mechanical tension is one of these, you know, drivers of hypertrophy if you don't actually have like the basic understanding of like sliding filament theory something that's like 70 or 80 years old or winding filament theory the more updated version if you don't understand what's going on at the level of the actual muscle fiber the myocyte the sarcomere if you don't understand like what those things are what's going on there what's in your muscle then it's going to be difficult to actually like put that lesson into context and this, I think, is a good example of where things do get, get taken out of context because the person like, like you or I who's, you know, gone and learned their muscle physiology or whatever, when they hear mechanical tension, they're thinking, okay, some sort of tension within the sarcomere or the muscle fiber or the muscle cell, and that's, pro- that's probably being transduced in, into some sort of chemical signal and leading to the hypertrophy process. And you can kind of put that into context. And then, then and only then, you think about, all right, so what does that mean for training? You know, what does that, how does that really come out into the real world? Whereas what often happens in the real world is we hear mechanical tension and you're like, 
what does that mean? Um, more weight in the bar. Yeah, more weight in the bar. But it's, it's not always so simple. So there are nuances there. So to transition into that part of the conversation, what do you think are the, I guess, mis- misconceptions or misunderstandings, if there are any, about mechanical tension or other drivers of hypertrophy, the disconnect from, bet- between that and the training process? You know, speak, speak as much as you want. <laughs> hmm. Uh, that's an interesting question. It's a bit of a loaded question, so apologies. (laughs) No, 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 don't. I I feel like um, I should apologize because I won't have an adequate answer in this regard, I don't think. I I am very much out of touch with uh, the myth side of thinking or like the idea that, um, yeah, the, the current methodologies of the time, just because it's never been something I've ever really paid attention to like i've never had my finger on the pulse of oh this is the latest thing like people will literally come into the gym and be like what do you think of xyz and i'm like i have no idea who that is that is i have no idea what it is like um uh yeah so as i said i'm i'm vastly unaware of that because i there's only so much information. There's only so many hours in the day. There's only so much information that I can come across and process on a daily basis. I, for the most part, am not going to waste an Instagram follow on someone who I don't see a large amount of value in. And I don't mean that in regards to uh, only follow people that, you know, you, you agree with what they say. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, unless someone is operating on a similar level to me, then I'm not really going to pay attention to them. So, and, and not trying to be elitist in that regard either. Yeah. Like there are people operating on levels way above me who there's no point me following. And this actually brings me to circle back into, sorry, the previous conversation is yes, you need to have a context of uh, understanding things to use it appropriately but you also need to have a context of things so it can, it can stick basically. Like I think uh, like, you know, there's the theory of like semantic network. Like that's kind of how we, our brains somewhat work and think about things Um, or like the way I guess I describe it to the coaches that we work with is it's kind of like a spider web, like, and everything like you need, things like things in a certain area so that you can stick something else in there. Like if you've never ever heard of like it never studied anatomy at all. And then you start reading like Boyle's joint by joint theory or something like that. That's going to be a wasted like hour for you. Like, yeah, that might be the goal or something like that's no, yeah, no one put that on the pedestal as the goal to get to for in regards to anatomy. I'm just for the sake of, you know, you've got to do all this foundational stuff so that the, like that final block you stop on, you stack on top actually sticks. So it's not even just the, the contextual needs of that uh, very high level piece of information. It's just like for pure, like economical use of a personal trainer's time, for the most part, you could spend two hours reading a bunch of papers and then forget it all because there's nothing in your, your knowledge bank that you can connect that to. Like, I think you, 
you actually said to someone of your Instagram post that I really liked is like knowledge is extremely incremental in nature. And, and that's why I can, I really disagree with the whole like myth busting approach to things. It's just like, you just like, Oh bam, here's the evidence. Calories in calories out. Anyone else is a clown for believing something else. It's like that person then is presented with one option. Am I going to entirely shift the way I think about this thing or stick with what I know? And for, you know, the predominance of um, experiences that they have like that, people stick with what they know. They can just dismiss it. Unless you teach or like try and layer in context and teach people things, you know, the hows, the whys, the whats, you won't be able to make that incremental change. And that is how I think you get people to think better thoughts, have uh, more well-founded beliefs. And I really steered that away from uh, <laughs> the latest, uh, you know, muscle building fads, but. Mm. I think, a, I think a, a good, my question was a pretty loaded question to be fair, but essentially I guess one of the points I was getting at or one of the places we wanted to take the conversation was potentially right when people understand that mechanical tension is a driver of hypertrophy and then they mm. they they link that then to one of the the principles that's often pre presented of you got to progressively overload and one of the yep. things that that i that i see often is people take that to mean all right i'm going to train like a power lifter or mm -hmm. you know i'm just going to do five by five or i'm, I'm even just going to focus only on increasing my one rep max on these few lifts you know and, and it's it's all layered on top of like essentially the, the context of powerlifting because they're always the lifts that people try to get strong at. So, so yeah, they're, they're some of the real world things. So do you, do you feel that sometimes people maybe misunderstand the application of progressive overload within that context? Yeah, without a doubt I do. Uh, just even in the, the isolated instance that people tend to just think of, progressive overload as weight related. Yeah. Like that, that may have been what you were saying. Um, but yeah, like it, that's such a, such an intricate thing. Like the, the question I guess tends to come up of like when we start talking about overloading, what's like, okay, what is the better method of overloading? Like, is it adding weight to the bar? Is it adding sets? Is it adding reps? And it's like, well, let's go, let's go a step back. Like what are we trying to achieve with any of those things? Like, fundamentally we are trying to activate high threshold motor units and take them to somewhere near failure because then they'll, uh, they'll the movement velocity will slow and then they'll experience high degrees of tension. Mm -hmm. And as you, you perfectly alluded to high degrees of tension on the microstructure scale of a sarcomere can be completely misapplied in the sense of, you know, I'm going to add five kilos to my bicep curl this week. I did you know, X amount last week and I've got a progressive overload. Like you can, you can actually trend in the wrong direction. So yeah, the, I, what am I trying to say here? I'm not surprised that these uh, thought patterns and or these thought processes and behavior patterns exist. 
when people are exposed to the type of information they're exposed to. Um, so I think, I guess a more interesting question to me is than rather than like, what is, what's one of the, what's some of the problems out there is how do we deal with it? Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. What and do I you think, think that? yeah, I, th- I think part of it does almost come back to like, like understanding your basics, because if you do actually understand, like if you, if you can look with that sort of almost microscopic lens and, and understand that, right. I, when, when they say mechanical tension, the goal is to apply that, you know, at this, this level of the sarcomere. So that's within my muscle. And then you're thinking, all right, how do I scale that out? What does that actually mean? It's like, all right, that, there's, there's these anatomical attachment points, say, say between my, my biceps. So it's running from, from my forearm up towards my shoulder. So what might that mean? If I then apply a load and then you start to bring physics into it, it's like, all right, there's this, there's this load that's applied here. That's a force. There's a moment arm, you know, there's a moment arm between the, the bicipital insertion and then the elbow joint. And it's like, all right, boom, boom, boom. We're connecting dots. We're connecting dots. And then, all right, what, what might, what might that mean then for how I lift? It's like, all right, I probably won't, don't want to move the other joints as much. I probably want to just move the joints across which that muscle is working. And maybe I don't want to use other joints in the body to, to jerk that weight up because wouldn't that lead to like some slacking on the muscle during the rep? And you can actually just start to connect these dots. And then it goes even further because you end up, you end up at the level of like rep ranges and stuff because you, you, you understand like, for example, like you understand Henneman size principle or you understand how, mo- how motor units function and how they, how they fatigue and, and the accumulation of metabolites. And all this stuff doesn't come from a particular paper. Like, well, it does like decades back, mm-hmm. but it comes from like your basics where you're, th- you're starting to reason things out and, it's, and, and you're, you're, looking, you're looking at the right level as opposed to looking solely at the gym floor level. Because what you see often is the, the, the sound bites from science being taken onto the gym floor. Okay. And, and when that, when that begins to happen, you end up with someone hearing that you need more mechanical tension, you need progressive overload. So that, that, that all we, all we can track in the practical on the ground level, like objectively, because people love numbers is, you know, the logbook. like that's one of the most common things people talk about. And it's almost assumed that if I've added 10 kilos on the logbook, that equals progressive overload and that equals more mechanical tension. However, if there has been a change in, I don't know, the, the pace at which you lifted that weight, you know, because if you're slamming down into the bottom of the rep, that's changing all of the forces that you're dealing with, you know, or if there was a change in how your knees and hips tracked together, like if on week one, they both raised and raised at the same level, whereas on week two, your hips shot back and then you came up. That's a, that's the different level of mechanical tension at the level of the quads. So I guess my, like my personal bias would always be trying to come back to the basics and, and really just understanding that stuff and, and thinking about it. But the problem is that that's not infograph, <laughs> infographic stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not as attractive, but that, that, like that would be my, my thought process. But would you say that you think about things in a similar level or, or like what's your thought process when it comes to, to programming? Do you run from like macro to micro or micro to macro or what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I guess to, to answer more so like just the thought process question, yes. what I'm trying to be more aware of is my thought process should be dependent on who I'm talking to, who I'm thinking yes. for, who, what I'm trying to do. Um, so 
yeah, I, I guess I can leave that, that as it is. Um, the, the programming question is, again, something I've been grappling with, with a lot lately. Um, I was speaking to, are you with Luke Tullick? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I think he's a, a, uh, yeah, a fantastic guy. Um, just a very nice guy in general, and that should be, that actually is important, I believe. Um, but he's a fantastic thinker as well. And I was, ex- yeah, discussing with him the other day that I guess I'm coming to this this stage in my my hypertrophy programming or just programming in general level of understanding is is what I'll basically do is I will I'll take a client and go okay cool you currently press dump you dumbbell press the 18s for for three by eight or something like that to to almost failure like let's forget about the technicalities of whether it's a 7.5 and 8 8.5 whatever your RPE was at near maximal effort you're doing three by eight at the 18s to have a big chest, shoulders, triceps, pushing complex. I want you pressing the 26s for four by 12. Okay. Pretty simple. Like, you know, we've got to get there. Once you can do that, you're pretty much going to have a big, you know, pushing complex musculature. And then from there, it's almost a more, I don't want to say subjective or intuitive process because I would like to think it is all founded on uh, some very stringent thinking and, and researching and learning over the time. But I will basically go, oh, you're pretty strong, but I guess your, like your rep strength drops off pretty quickly. Like, you know, you got up to say the 22s, able to press the 22s pretty quickly. You can only press them for, for two sets of five or something like that. So I'm going to put more volume work into this person. And that's going to mean where we're looking to overload reps, we're looking to, to overload sets, these kinds of things. They need to build up more of the, the endurance component of hypertrophy because I, I do think in uh, hypertrophy is kind of the manifestation of uh, like strength endurance to, to put it quite simply. Um, again, it's a lot more nuanced than this, but, I'll get tangled on my words if I try and <laughs> get too <laughs> complex. Um, whereas other people have, I guess, more of the the endurance side covered. Like they can pump out, yeah, they might get up to the to the twenties for four by twelve pretty quickly. But as soon as I put the twenty twos in their hand, their performance plummets. And it's like, okay, we need to spend a bit more time doing your more traditional strength work. And that's sort of the limiting factor in their hypertrophy. I guess that's, that's just something I've observed sort of factored into what I think about how you achieve hypertrophy from more of a a practical perspective. So did I answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. No, I quite, I quite like that idea of kind of trying to, trying to give the person an idea of where, where, where they should be trying to get to, to, be close to the outcomes that they actually desire as in that person doesn't really care like if they lift the four by 12s for 26 mm-hmm. or 30 it's like they want to they want a bigger chest bigger pushing muscles or whatever and i quite like that idea because it almost um builds on an idea that one of my one of my friends has written about about essentially top down versus bottom up programming where the top down programming is essentially a sort of a marxist approach to 
training planning whereby you're essentially giving the telling the part you're trying to assume that you know all of the knowable variables and you're saying this is exactly how you get to this endpoint and that's what a lot of programming ends up like you know it's like if you do five, you do your five by five for the first six months of training and then you switch to this program for the next 18 months of training and then you'll be out of the intermediate phase and you move on to this this stage of training and it's, mm. it's almost like you're you're predicting exactly what that person that person needs whereas the other side of it would be the person who is far more challenging far more complex but the more kind of quote-unquote capitalist sort of top top or bottom bottom up rather approach yeah. to to training whereby you're thinking about like you're starting from that place of of epistemic arrogance okay you're starting from that from that position and you're saying right we can only know so many things here okay we we know we know the the things that we don't know are far greater than the things that we do know so you start by saying right so we know what you can currently do we have some idea of the adaptations that take place but we've got all of this research on quote-unquote non-responders so i have no idea where you're going to be on that spectrum I don't know if you're going to be the guy that gained 59% over 12 weeks on his biceps or the guy that lost minus 8%. You know, it's like, I don't know where you are. So I think mm. that's a really, really nice way of conceptualizing hypertrophy training, which is basically what you've just said in practice. And I've just said in a really complicated way. But what you're yeah. saying is that you're, you're, you're taking an outcome that's likely to be related to the person's goal. So bigger chest, probably related to having more strength, across multiple sets on in moderate repetition ranges and then you're you're navigating that path thereafter you don't know if you're going to go left or right in two months time because you you're not at two months time just yet and then you mm. make those decisions as you go so so yeah I, I really really like that that sort of perspective i'm glad i'm i'm glad you think that and i'm also super glad that you referenced karl marx and capitalism in a in a conversation around hypertrophy. That's awesome. Um, That's cool. <laughs> I will have to, I'll have to read that. Did you I'll say send that on to, Yeah. I'll send that on to you. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, I, you, you made a very good point there at the end that something people fail to understand is they, I think they conflate the proxy with the goal. Like it's, you know, the goal is hypertrophy. The goal isn't uh, doing more volume, okay? It's what we've come to understand is doing more volume probably helps with hypertrophy in given context. And people just go, yeah, they, they just reduce it to, I've just got to eat calories and do more volume. It's like, no, what you need to do is produce more, myofibrillar proteins than what you're breaking down yeah in the tissue that you actually want to build uh like they they get this misconstrued idea of what will be a a guiding light or a signpost in the process they just start aiming for that um so yeah i, I think that it is important that sort of the, i guess i would like to think people like you and i to exist in this industry is, you know, for every five people there are that are saying, you know, it's just this or just that you've got to have somewhere that's like, Hey, but don't forget about this or don't forget what you're actually aiming for is that. Um, and the interesting, yeah. the interesting thing about it is that I actually feel like we've actually gone through a lot of these stages already with nutrition, but we're making a lot of the same mistakes already or 
like now with training because you yep. see this all the time. Like for example, if someone said to you that like eating more meals is far better for gaining weight, you'd kind of be like, well, not, not really because you could make, you know, some of your other meals smaller or you could make other, your other meals larger and, and potentially eat less meals. Or it could be the case that like, we don't actually know what's even in your meals. So, you know, how am I, how am I supposed to know? You know, and you, you said that you're eating, you're eating a sandwich, but, but what's in the sandwich? Like, is it a, is it, a, does it have loads of cheese and, and, and mayonnaise or, or is it just like a lettuce sandwich or, and, and now we're running into the same problems with training where it's like, just do more volume. And it's like, okay, but volume is only a potentiating factor insofar as eating, eating more meals is, is eating, is a potentiating mm -hmm. factor. And like, there are obviously it's not a perfect analogy, but you can see how it's relevant where like you can keep doing more and more volume. And eventually there's going to come a point where you're doing very low quality work. You're accumulating more muscle damage um, and potentially just like not getting any progress and potentially even getting worse progress. Because one of the mm -hmm. bottlenecks, one of the bottlenecks for people often is that they push themselves too hard in a training program. They get a bit of a, a niggly shoulder, you know, they got some shoulder pain and then they can't press properly for maybe another two months. So that's two mm. months of, of progress that's, that's no longer in the picture. So volume, in my, and from my perspective, should only be viewed as something, as you said, that's, that's trying to tip the scales in favor of positive protein balance. And how much, how much that you actually require is, again, one of those like, things that we can't exactly know, but that we can try to, to reason out through that bottom-up training process. Because again, we're making that sort of that top down mistake when we're, when we're reading research and we're saying, all right, on average, you know, th this, this was the, the number of sets that led to the most hypertrophy, but my client is not the mean of that group, or at least I cannot mm -hmm. assume that they're the mean of that group, you know, and also short term training studies might necessarily tell you about what that meant for the long term for those individuals. Because again, you know, you, you have someone come into you in the gym first day, like, like what's your actual goal? Your goal is not to get them to a particular level of volume. It's to like sort out their exercise execution, make sure they're doing, you know, all their exercises. Well, you've got exercises that are suitable for the person and um, you're taking care of all the, the things that you know you can control. And then you start to play with the variables that you have less control over, over time. So, so yeah, I think like, I know that's not as sexy because there's no like definitive recipe as such, you know, but, um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a more useful way of thinking about some of the nuances at least of the training process. Mm. No, I, again, I completely agree. And I think like you mentioned the word bottlenecks and that, that made me think immediately of, of another like hot topic of kind of like, you know, periodization and like, I guess the, the extension of programming and people go, Oh, is it important? Is it not important? Blah, blah, blah. Like to me, my conceptualization of periodization is addressing the limiting factors. Like, and there's just always going to be some limiting factor. Yeah. Maybe it's just a shoulder niggle. Maybe it's, you need more volume. Maybe it's, you need to, uh, select exercises that have a more favorable stimulus to fatigue ratio. Like there is innumerable issues that you're going to run into. Like no one is walking around. Well, I'm sure some people are. There is a very small percentage of people walking around with the level of muscle mass that they want. There is something that is limiting everyone. To me, periodization and programming is just 
addressing what's going to be the, the weak link or the limiting factor in that, that uh, context, which is, yeah, why? Like you, you can't just say it's volume or it's intensity or it's whatever. It's, um, there was something else you said that I wanted to touch on, but I've forgotten what it was. Um, that is okay. That's yeah, okay. I've I've forgotten. That's Sorry. okay. I speak too much. You didn't you didn't recall. But yeah, and and, no. and the, the the difficult thing as well is that you know we we like with with periodization, especially for general population people, um, like the bottle the bottlenecks often are not even they're not session reps. You know, it's it's not session reps that you're dealing with as the bottleneck a lot mm. of the time. Like for example, to give one example of a check in I had with a client yesterday, he's just after moving to to Vietnam three weeks ago. So that might be fine for you. You're used to the warm weather, but if you're going from Ireland and you're pale and you're moving to Vietnam, massive change, massive, (laughs) massive change in your lifestyle. Like one of the things he was reporting to me is that, um, like he's been drinking loads and loads of water more than he would drink at home, but his, his pee is just like radioactive yellow. (laughs) And I'm just like, right, man, we have to take care of that. Because like that, that again is, is one potential bottleneck that could potentially be limiting his training performance right now. And, you know, he said his strength has got, is just crap since he arrived. Um, like other things, it's like, like there's probably, it might be a difference in his sleep quality because of the, maybe the air quality or it could be the, the heat, or the humidity. Again, more variables, more things that are difficult to control for. Um, he's, he's working as a PE teacher um, in a school and like doing like 20,000 steps a day, dancing around, like running games, you know, super active, more than he would be at home. Again, new variable added into the picture. He's also trying to make friends um, over there. And as a result, he's kind of going out for a couple of drinks um, a few nights a week. And again, like not a massive problem, but again, these are all those like one, two, three, four, five percent things that add up as potentially being a bottleneck. And I think your, your perspective on, you said, you know, you're trying to essentially accumulate more muscle proteins. Like if we have that muscle protein balance perspective on hypertrophy, then you can sort of ask yourself, right, what, what's, what's raising the bar and what's potentially, you know, lowering the bar again. And, you know, he, he can do the training. He can try and try and overfeed and that'll sure push things up. But as those steps mm-hmm. begin to increase and his activity goes up and, and he's, hot, he's dehydrated and he's not sleeping as well and he's having a few extra beers, all of those things begin to, begin to work against you. And there's just not a specific periodization strategy that's going to, to overcome that. And, and as I'm sure you're very aware, like that's the reality of working with general population clients, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no, 100%. And I... You, t- you reminded me of what I was thinking about is like the idea that that something doesn't matter or the idea that there is no difference between uh, two potential methodologies. Like, so an example might be, you know, the idea that water doesn't matter for, matter for muscle growth. You know, it's just this or that. It's just, you know, proteins and calories or, uh, you know, four by 12 versus four by eight. That, there's no because it's four hard sets you know it's to failure or something like that and this is again just these are uh, symptoms of just this this level of thinking that that is going on in certain pockets of the industry like one of the things that that i'm constantly saying to the uh 
the coaches and that we work with predominantly is that if there's a difference, there's a difference. Okay. If our level of understanding at this point in time is we can't find a difference between these two things that differ in some way, then it's a, it's a measurement or an analysis problem. It's not that they are the same. Okay. Sure. We might find out in time that the difference between a set of eight and a set of 12 is minuscule. Like it will never be practically important, but to say they're the same, it just on face value seems like, I don't know, just like dumbfounding to me. Like a set of eight is not the same as a set of 12. There are differences there that we're probably not aware of and that's fine. And then coming back to the, to the, the thing about like, oh, you know, water intake doesn't matter for, for muscle growth. It's like, but then once you factor in this person's also drinking alcohol, they're not sleeping enough. Yep. They've moved to a foreign country. It's like, you can't dismiss something as just saying it does not matter. Like, cool. On the, the template case study that you learned about, you know, in maybe your cert three, four, or just, you may not have even done that because that's another one of the, the issues in, I think this industry is that now a lot of the, with the, with the rise in social media, a lot of the, the thoughts and the thinking are generated by yeah, blogs, forums, things like this. And a lot of people are commenting, saying things and giving momentum to movements that obviously they haven't even worked with people. They haven't actually tried to put muscle on a 45 year old female who has three kids. Like, cool. Do more sets. Awesome. She's already coming in tired in, in between dropping the kids off at school and then going and taking the puppy to puppy training. That's been biting the couch for the last week. Like she doesn't have time to do 15 sets per body part. Like, and now at this point, I'm probably just ranting and being frustrated, which is something I, I don't want to do. But people, let me potentially summarize with this, and this is not a question that you asked, but let me push my ideology. Um, people need to be aware that learning something and intellectual humility should go hand in hand. If you acquire more knowledge or say you, you now learn that it's better to do more sets than less sets for the most part with hypertrophy. If you don't, if you just close your mind off to everything else, when you learn that you're going to be more destructive than helpful to just the state of, industry and people around you i think if you learn something you need to accompany it with okay i now need to be on the lookout for the dangers of this position that i now hold like you've if i guess you you envision your your knowledge as like a state in space like you've moved to a new location that location has different dangers and different things that you need to be on the lookout for so, yeah. Yeah, and Sorry, I, and I, I do. Irrelevant. I do think. <laughs> no, it is. I do think that that um, essentially, like a lot of the points you're getting at is, like, just the the importance of actually working with people, whether whether it be online or in the real world, that 
people, like real people, individuals are humbling. You know, they humble you mm. because you think you can know it all and know the perfect recipe until you work with someone in the real world. And then it's like, oh, this is actually, this is actually quite different. You know, there's a lot of mm-hmm. additional variables. Um, and you actually also just reminded me when you said the word epistemic again, that I, I, I meant to say epistemic humility earlier in this episode, not epistemic arrogance. That is a different concept. So if you've read like Nassim Taleb, like you kind of understand what yeah, I'm talking yeah. about. But, but yeah, I shouldn't have said that phrase. But anyway, irrelevant for now. Um, yeah, one of the things I wanted to, to touch on was Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, like another another thing, you know, you touched on a few of the, the variables that that people might say just just don't matter. But again, I had another another client who, when they had a certain meal, a certain number of hours before their workout, they couldn't get their belt on properly because they felt bloated and it totally compromised their squat performance. So, for me to turn around and say, well, actually, did you know that like meal timing? And the foods you eat actually just don't matter, you know. <laughs> and the fact that you're bloating, mm-hmm. like it just doesn't matter, you know. But so, so these things do end up mattering, but it, it's not necessarily something that you can then put out as a a broad message on social media. So mm-hmm. I guess that is that is the crux of of the challenge here is like what you advise at an individual level and what you advise at the population level, because by definition, our population generalizations need to be really simple they need to be broad they shouldn't be overly prescriptive which is why you can't just say a number of sets whereas Mm. that's often that's often what we're almost looking for when it comes to science it's like people people go to science because they think there's that science they don't understand science as a process they think that it's a almost like a list of facts that's that's just Mm. there that you can then go and learn and then you'll have you know the secret knowledge and like i've put up a I put up a series of, of stories sometime last year about how I just think like, I, I don't think physiotherapy information can be delivered effectively online. I just don't think it's, it's something that that's, that's working or that can be put out. Well, at least not on the individual yeah. level, because what you see in the physiotherapy field, a lot of the time is most of the physio and rehab pages that have over a hundred thousand followers, like they're just spouting, mostly bullshit first of all mm-hmm. but after that it's it's just these individual hacks and tricks that get swept up by a broad range of people and it just doesn't end up working because what you end up seeing is that not only is someone telling you giving you a specific tool without the context they're giving you the context and almost a diagnosis you know for example it could be something like have you ever had lower back pain and it's like well yes everyone everyone mm. is going to get low back pain at some time. Okay, that, that's the thing. So then they've, they've just drawn in literally this massive audience and they've said, here's one of the causes of low back pain. So that person's like, oh, that's, that's my diagnosis. I've got a facet mm. joint arthropathy or whatever. And then they're, they're like, uh, oh yeah, here's, here's my solution. And then, it, and then it just ends up being, you've just given this one solution, but not only a solution, you've given a person a diagnosis based on a vague symptom that, everyone is going to experience. And I think that's almost how we end up funneling people online is like the same with hypertrophy. You know, are you a skinny guy who struggles to gain muscle? It's like, well, you, you, like, yes, like <laughs> a lot of us are skinny guys who struggle to gain muscle. Yes. And, th- and then it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is what you have to do. So mm. I think, I think that's a hurdle that is difficult to get over. I don't think there's a perfect solution because ultimately 
I think we're wrestling with a medium of, of distributing information that isn't necessarily all that great for giving people individualized information, you know? Yep. No, I, I, I do. I do completely understand. And yeah, like it, it's so hard, isn't it? To like, again, like we're here trying to, to sell science more than not sort of thing. Like there's so many people that are just dismissing science as like, the fuck is that i don't give a shit like i want you know 22 inch guns and you know ronnie coleman in muscle mag tells me how to get that not some dweeb in a research lab so then we're kind of like no 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 like science is great it can do this for us but then it's just like you've got the people even on the other side of that being like hang about like science isn't just the best information it's actually our best guess at the information given the way that we go about the process. And that's just like, oh man, no wonder that we, we can't drag a, a large amount of people with us that far. It's, I, I guess like what I've really been thinking about lately is what is the, the intervention or the, the whatever we can introduce into the system that will have the largest magnitude of, of positive effect. And I guess I started thinking about this when, because science to, like doesn't quite seem to be the right answer. To me, what I'm thinking is, is just generally like understanding critical thinking more so than not. It's like there was a paper that I was looking at the other day where it was basically with increasing level of scientific knowledge did not come an increased ability to defend against pseudoscientific claims. So they basically studied uh, business undergrads and I think they were biology undergrads. The biology undergrads had a greater level of knowledge of scientific facts that did not translate that. Sorry. Yeah. That didn't translate into a greater understanding of scientific theories so they failed to actually show a significant difference in conceptual understanding of science. And then again, there was a non-significant difference in belief in pseudoscientific phenomena such as, you know, ghosts or um, uh, astrology or something like that. Astronomy. Astrology. Yeah. Astrology. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So, to, sorry, like, again, I'm probably not quite fitting this correctly onto the conversation that we were having, but, it, but are you following me somewhat? Like it's yeah. now we can't even just be like science is the answer because what we need to be aware of is that, that knowledge is, can be extremely isolated. So just because you get uh, these people that know something about, Uh, you know, they know a lot about a little, they then have this big sweeping claim. It's like, yeah, now I, you know, now I know a ton about everything sort of thing. Um, And I, like I was, yeah, just that made me think of when you were mentioning the, the, the physiotherapy page, like there's just people don't appreciate just, 
no, I've forgotten my, sorry, my train of thought that like, getting up at 5am will do that to you. Uh, <laughs> it's all good, man. But no, like essentially like, go, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, sorry, you made an excellent point though about the physiotherapy thing and that it can't probably be uh, executed effectively online. Like there is such a, a human interaction component to, to making someone feel better that yeah, it's not just information at the end of the day. And I, to tie that back into the prior conversation, the whole, these are the facts of exercise science. These are the facts of diet. These are the facts of whatever is not enough to convince someone like, I'm sorry, but if you're going to be an arrogant asshole across social media and make, try and make people look like clowns for not understanding calorie balance which is a component of physics, which is like one of the, the most complex topics known to humans. Like, what, like it's as simple as energy balance. Oh, okay. You know, the 55 year old menopausal woman who's struggling to lose weight, it's just as simple as calorie balance. Yeah. She's going to appreciate hearing that, isn't she? Yeah. And I think it, it is a difficult thing to just, tease out those additional details you know because when you when you say things like it's just calories in calories out people don't realize that that is almost like a it's a summary without discussing all of the the inputs on either side inputs and outputs yep. and that any output or input affects essentially the other side of the the other side of that and again just 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 really difficult to get those those nuanced um points out on you know social media it's it's just not it's just not it's not developed for that as such, I guess, you know, and, 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 and yeah, basically what, what, what we're getting at is that, you know, we're all just screwed. <laughs> no, but, but yeah, no, you, you touched on the critical thinking aspect and I think that's super important because like being, being scientific should be more about like how you think rather than what you think. And ultimately like what, what we're doing at the moment, I think a lot of the time online in people who brand themselves as like, this is the science and everything else is bullshit. It's like, you know, even things like intermittent fasting, I think is a good one because mm -hmm. I think that's one of those ones that's, that's on the edge that like, you can't be that explicit that it, it's bullshit. Like you just can't like, but loads of people mm -hmm. do. They're, they're just like, oh, intermittent fasting. It's just a fad because it's just about calories. And it's like, hold on a minute. Do you not realize mm -hmm. how this actually plays into the whole, to the whole context of controlling your calories? And I think, one of my favorite areas of research at the moment that is going to lead to hopefully a lot of humility among people who are just, who, who, who are just kind of the myth busters. And like, we've all been there, you know, I've, I've been that person. I've, I've, I've been yeah. the guy who feels great busting myths and stuff, but there comes a point where you're like, all right, we have to think about it more. But, but one of the, the areas of research is I think time restricted feeding, particularly as it yeah. relates to chronobiology and chrononutrition. I think mm. there's going to be a, like be a lot of, of humility in the nutrition sphere once that information is kind of disseminated a little bit more because it's kind of it's kind of like well like meal timing to some degree might matter you know periods of fasting probably beneficial to some degree you know at least extending your fasting window and and that's that's just something then that has to be added on as an additional nuance where you're like oh it's it's all about calorie balance but also meal timing might matter because it affects this stuff and whole protein also matters because that affects this stuff and, and how active you are then changes the other side of the equation. And it's like, it's just, we don't have this meme of 
it's a calorie deficit full stop kind of a thing, you know? Mm. No, that, yeah, you raised again, a fantastic point. And what like Danny Lennon gave one of the best talks I've ever seen, uh, like regardless of discipline, um, at UABC this year, he's yeah. Danny is without a doubt the man. Um, it was such a well-constructed, well-delivered, nuanced talk on yeah, chrononutrition. Uh, yeah, so uh, more sorry, sorry, like eating in regards to like circadian rhythm and those kind of yes. things. It was basically like, yes, um, eating around our, our circadian rhythm. And he was totally right. Like it's, and again, we're aware of these things, but people aren't. Is like, yeah, it's just calories. Well, it's like, well, no, that is just, the environmental component of the environment organism interaction. It's like, if you can eat a certain amount of calories that allows the organism to function more optimally, that's going to lead to a better outcome. Like we are, we are organisms that have dualistic natures. Like there should be periods of feeding and fasting should be periods of light and dark wake and sleep to just be like, yeah, it doesn't matter if you just, eat your calories whenever it's like, okay, probably not the way the human body evolved, but that's fine. But then all of a sudden it's like, ah, that, you know, you're making case for how the human body body evolved, go and hang with the paleo crowd. Yeah. And then we're going to be back at the start of the conversation again. Like it's just, we need to, to break down some of these, these ideological camps and barriers that exist within the industry. And what I am afraid of is the myth busting fact dropping does not actually help because what you need to recognize is no one believes their beliefs are stupid. I don't sit here and go, you know, as an atheist, I'm a fucking idiot for not believing in God. Like, that's just not, we go, you know, I think I'm at the, uh, you know, I have the superior or more well-founded belief in this regard. So it's like when someone believes that insulin is the reason that inhibits fat loss, don't go, you're a fucking idiot and go insulin fairy. Like, that's such a straw man argument. Like this person doesn't actually think the insulin fairy is inhibiting their fat loss. They've just got an isolated piece of information that they're holding in a way that is obviously obstructing their view of what we deem to be the truth. Like, yeah, I'll round out on that. Let's all just be a little more understanding that if someone believes something different to you, they don't consider themselves an idiot. So you probably shouldn't treat them that way. Yes. And religion, I think is the, the perfect, the perfect parallel here because uh, on both sides, you assume that the other side are, are totally dumb a lot of the time. And I was dead, like I was that person in my late teens, even early 20s, probably until I think two years ago, probably. I was the atheist who was just like, how could people possibly believe in religion? Are they, are they dumb? Is it, this is totally mm-hmm. stupid. And then, and then I, came across, I came across some of the, uh, some of Jordan Peterson stuff. And, and that was kind of like, okay, this is, this is a different perspective on religion. Like not that I necessarily agreed, but it, it was different. And then I read some mm-hmm. of um, 
Nassim Taleb and, and heard some other people talking about like more so like the evolutionary role of religion and, and the, the community and the rituals and, and all of these different things and, and, and kind of Peterson on like, you know, subjective versus objective truth and, and all this difference, all these different ideas that I had never been exposed to. And then I was like, wow, like that's a, a different perspective. And I began to look around me thinking about, you know, how is, how is going to, to church every week? What, like what, what purpose is that serving for like my grandfather or my grandmother or whatever? And it's like, mm. this is actually really interesting. There's clearly so much more to this that, that I couldn't see because I was blindsided by the fact that like my assumption of religion was like, people actually think there's a man in the sky. Like, are you serious? You know, that, was, yep. that was kind of it. Whereas when you start to look, like, look broader and, and you appreciate all of these different things, it's like, all right, now I, now I get it. Now I get why that serves a function. Not that I'm like going in and reading my Bible after this or anything, but, but you can appreciate it. And I think that should always be the goal. It should be to like, f- first seek to, someone said that to me before. I don't know who initially said it, but first seek to understand and then to be understood. Because if you yep. do expose yourself to like the hypotheses around like the insulin hypothesis or something, like you can see how that's like a, a very reasonable stance if you have not read the other research or you have not really delved into some of the details. And that's one of the mm. things with, with a lot of people, who, for example, in the, the low carb or the keto community who are like real strong, strongly held beliefs, like often they're not idiots. There are people with degrees in biochemistry. Some of them have, have PhDs. Like clearly they're mm-hmm. thinking. So we should be trying to understand where that perspective is coming from first and then make our arguments. Because if it's just like, that's just dumb, then there's going to be half of the general population that are going to be like, all right, I just happen to have fallen into the hands of the evidence-based guys. And then the other half are going to be, I just happen to have fallen into the, the hands of the, the low-carb keto guys. But mm-hmm. if you don't have the reasoning apparatus, to be able to reason why you actually believe what those guys now believe, then you're essentially no different. You just, you just got lucky and, and your outcomes could be the same in that yeah. you could, you could believe you could go your whole life believing that it's all about insulin and you end up eating a healthful diet and live a long, you know, fruitful life. And that is essentially a, like that belief system has some like evolutionary properties to it, to a degree in that like, mm. it's a pretty, fit belief system like you could look at it almost like in a religious context on the other side of the coin it's like the person who, who had the quote-unquote evidence-based beliefs they think it's all just calories and again then they also have a great diet and they eat healthily and they, they end up living the same life so from the on the ground practical outcome the outcome ends up being the same despite the fact that the beliefs were different so ultimately the goal should be to try and develop your reasoning apparatus if you want to make good decisions, because otherwise it could just be luck, you know? Yep. No, I, I completely agree. And that, that quote is first seek to understand. Um, yeah. Before you seek to be understood is, is fantastic. And without being no, without knowing who said the quote, I would fathom a yeah. guess it would be Socrates or, or something yeah. <laughs> like that. Those guys were onto it miles ago. With um, <laughs> just, just finally, what, uh, have you listened to a Sam Harris fan? Yeah, I haven't. I, I've listened to a good bit of his stuff, but not 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 all of it. Not as much as some people. <laughs> Did you, by any chance, listen to his latest episode with uh, Ricky Gervais? Or no, listen? I didn't. I actually listened to the two after that, but I didn't listen to that one yet. So, if you recommend it, I will. <laughs> I, I do recommend it. He made a fantastic point that is um, is relevant here, like 
credit to Ricky. I think he is, uh, he's a thinker and he's a very funny guy, but like touches on some deep issues is he was talking about how the, the liberals and I'm speaking in regards to like the rest yeah. of the world, liberals, the, in Australia, the liberals are actually the conservatives. Um, <laughs> the, the liberals treat the, the religious conservatives in America have been like, these idiots, like, you know, they're, they're opposing, um, like abortion and things like yeah. that. And it's like, no, if you actually understand, or like, if you are viewing the world from their point of view, they literally do think you are killing a baby. Like you would have to be a horrible human being to have that worldview and not have that actual view on the matter. Like, it, it like it just needs to like people need to understand just like okay there is a reason this person believes what they believe it might be a bad reason and if it's a bad reason then you can probably go in there deconstruct it and help them but don't yeah don't treat them like an idiot like it's yeah the world yeah. is a harsh enough place at the best of times let's try to make it a little easier on each other yeah, and I, I think it, like if you're interested in that perspective, Jonathan Haidt also has another book. I can't remember what it's called. The at the Righteous moment. Mind. The Righteous Mind. That's the one. It um, is a fantastic book. And he essentially presents that that case for like why someone who is, if you want to dichotomize into liberal and conservative, why they might view the world in different ways. I it's, it, it it is almost like, however, when I was reading it, I was like. It, I almost I thought he was writing it as if he almost felt sorry for conservatives, as if their beliefs were so ridiculous. Which again is almost making the, the mistake. But maybe that was my own bias coming through. But mm. um, but yeah, I think that's good because, like again, like whether it's whether it's political, whether it's a social issue, whether it's nutrition, whether it's training, you can almost always get to the point where you really do understand why someone else has a certain belief. And unless you get to that point there's never going to be productive dialogue or any sort of exchange. It just ends up polarizing. And you see that in politics all of the time where we just, you just create a straw man of the other person's side of the argument. And there's, there's literally nothing in the center. There's no conversation because it's so spread apart, you know? Um, and yeah, we do the same thing in, in training. You know, it's like you're either the super high volume evidence-based guy or you're the low volume, high intensity training um, type of guy. And it's like, those guys don't go to failure absolute losers those guys do go to failure ha, idiots you know yeah. and it's like it's like do you realize that you're, you're polarizing something that is such a small nuance it's like you know it's like it's it's a change in repetition velocity that you guys are arguing about yeah you know it's like yeah i just think that 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 dialogue that's seeking to be understood is or to understand is is step one of this yeah, without a doubt. And um, yeah, I, I just wanted to, to thank you for having me on and for giving, I guess, someone who yeah, probably isn't as considered to be as attractive as sexy in the industry and someone that, yeah, is trying to say the things that don't sell as well. Um, so thank you. I, I think you are doing a good job and a good thing for the industry. And I'm not saying that, sorry, in relation to having me on. I was doing that separately thanking you for having me on and saying you're doing a good thing for the industry i wasn't wasn't uh, conflating those two things yeah i am such but a yeah, good person for having you on this is the high point of my <laughs> life having lyndon on the podcast <laughs> yes you are, you are um, you've just moved up some uh yeah. <laughs> some virtue points in in god's eyes yes 
but yeah, no, thank you very, thank you very much for, for coming on. I hope people enjoyed the episode. And if people are looking to find out more about you or JPS, where would you direct them? Anything you've got coming up or anything like that? Yeah. Uh, like the, the two places I would probably suggest you find me is, uh, most of my, my work that I think is worth reading would just be on the JPS blog. Like, as we said, like the long form nuanced, uh, ideas are the ones that I have interest in. Um, you won't find me on the JPS Instagram, uh, very often. Um, so yeah, if you want to check out some of my work, you can go to the, the JPS blog or if you want to just, um, view my own personal Instagram that I don't take Instagram life too seriously. Um, I try to have some fun with it, but you know, I, I do share interesting or things that I find interesting on my story or on my page, whatever. Um, that's just hot underscore and underscore dangerous on, yeah, on Instagram. So you can find me at those two places if you like and just harass me about something. Let's talk about politics, religion, gender <laughs> issues. We'll go wild. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So thank you very much, Lyndon. And, and for the rest of the listeners, we'll be back with Mr. Patty Farrell next week. So we will see you then. <laughs>